Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the A10 Talk podcast. Sam Basil joined by three titans of the blog, Daniel Frank, Jack Milko, Anthony Morelli. And, you know, I figured we'd, we'd get this last, you know, preseason podcast in because as of recording, we are less than 24 hours. Really, you know, in terms of nationally, we're, we're only about like 15, 16 hours away from the tip off of the 2022-23 college basketball season. Uh, most looking at the A10 slate, everything's pretty much going to be starting around 6 30, 7 o'clock. But if you're a real college basketball night, you'll be able to watch games all the way from, you know, 12 noon Eastern time, all the way probably till about 2 a.m. Uh, so really, I know I'm really excited. Everyone here, you know, can I, can I get your feel? How you, how, how's everyone feeling tonight? Feeling great, Sam. Happy to be back with you. Happy that we're finally, as much as I love preseason, I'm ready to talk about some real games. No more hypotheticals. Let's talk about some real basketball here. Yeah, I second that. I'm, I'm thrilled. Can't believe college basketball is here. It's been a really long offseason, I feel like, especially for St. Bonaventure fans. Uh, a lot of questions lingering. A brand new roster, brand new team. And now we get to see uh, the finished product against St. Francis tomorrow night. Yeah, and you know we're gonna get into those questions around St. Bonaventure a little a little later on. We talked about some of those questions earlier earlier on this podcast, but there was some a lot of new information uh, post media day that I kind of wanted to you know bounce back and forth around here tonight. But first, you know let's let's talk about the slate we've got. So you know along with you know as part of the I was trying to do a count today, but it was just too too much for me to really you know sort through. I think we've got close to two hundred games or, you know, probably like over like one, around maybe like 150, 150 games tipping off tomorrow night. Uh, 13 of those uh, being teams involved in the Atlantic 10. But it seems like two teams did not get the memo. So Duquesne and St. Joe's, Duquesne tipping off uh, tomorrow on uh, Tuesday against uh, Montana and uh, St. Joe's tipping off on Friday, uh, you know, l- later on, later on this week. So Anthony, you know, as a, as a St. Joe's guy yourself, uh, what happened there? What do you, what, what do you, what do you think's taking St. Joe's a little bit longer to, uh, you know, get the season going than the rest of the conference? I guess they just want to start off with a bang, right? I mean, you can't get a better start than what Houston's third in the country right now to start the season. So I, I think it's a good, a good start to us. I, I'm okay with waiting the five days or well, not five days, but four days, um, in order to get a really quality opponent. Um, and that's as good as it's going to get. And it gives me time to watch the LaSalle Villanova game, which is another Philadelphia classic that I'm looking forward to. But um, yeah, I don't know if you want to dive into that, into that one, or if you want to talk about a game that is going to be played, but the Houston one is going to be one to watch for everyone in the A-10, just to see if a team as bad as St. Joe's can actually keep it within maybe 15 or 20. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that game a little bit first before we get into LaSalle. So, you know, like you said, that's, that's, that's a big uphill battle facing off against a top five team in the country for a team, you know, that, that was, that was finished to pick 14th in this year's preseason poll. They went five and 13 in conference play last season. What would you describe this season for the Hawks? I mean, obviously, you know, no games have been played, so it's, it's any, anything's possible, but you know, going in, what, what is a preseason goal? Is this a rebuild? Is this kind of just, you know, see what pieces we have and, and and figure it out from there. Like, what what does a matchup against Houston do for a team in this position? It literally gets us TV time, and that's all that it is. It's a recruiting tip, I think at least. It's a recruiting tactic to get us on television, which is something that the whole 
uh, post-Martelli regime has been able to do really well. I mean, this is, I wrote about this in our top 50 games to watch. St. Joe's finds itself at the top of that scheduling list for some reason. Does it do the program any good? That's yet to be seen. I mean, they lose every single time. They've never pulled up an, an upset against any of these teams. It puts us on television, but for example, the game against USC last year, we were on at 11 at night. So who, what recruits really watching that game? And is it actually a fruitful endeavor yet to be seen? Um, and it's funny because you guys were talking about, it's like, Oh, we're excited for college basketball. This time. I don't know if I'm that excited. I don't know <laughs> if I'm that excited for St. Joe's basketball. It has been an absolute slog and the team. What kills me is the turnaround on the team. Who's going to lead the team this year? Who's going to lead the team this year? And in college basketball, that's natural, right? We go in cycles. It's cyclical. Every four years, there's going to be a changing of the guard. Um, but every time we do think that we have these good pieces that we're kind of putting together, we actually put them on the court, and it doesn't look that great. Um, you know, last year it was Jordan Hall, Eric Reynolds. Eric Reynolds plays well one game. Maybe Jordan Hall plays well the other game, but they never put it together. They never won games. They lost a lot of games. And at the end of the season, it was even more discouraging than the year before because they absolutely quit. They didn't go on a nice run like they did with the years of Ryan Daly. And going into this year, who knows what we have? I mean, Lynn Greer looked really good. Christian Winborn looked really good in these preseason games against Towson and Widener. But that's Widener and Towson's okay, but they're no Houston and they're no Villanova and they're no Temple. And there are no, uh, none of these good teams that were really good teams that we're going to face. I guess Towson's okay, but there's going to be more of a slog to come and much more harder opponents to beat. And so you're testing guys who have never really played together um, that long with each other against really veteran opponents. And the scheme's not there under Coach Lang. It hasn't been for the last three years. And so to sum it all up, I'm really down on it. And I guess the only success is 500 which that does that shouldn't save the coach's job but that's where we are right now so yeah I mean that's that that's a tough outlook I feel like we've kind of uh strayed away from a little little doom and gloom on, on this podcast so far in the preseason but you know sometimes it's needed sometimes that's what you need you know especially coming from you who's a former you know St. Joe's athlete you know a, a, a active member of the community um you know Sometimes that pro- a program just needs to kind of be shocked into, into into their senses. So, you know, speaking, you know, at, from, you know, coming from your perspective as an athlete, if you're a high school prospect, you know, maybe you're a freshman, you have yet to be recruited, and you're kind of just watching a lot of games, you know, around the country to see who you might be able to play or, you know, might be able to sign on to, what kind of performance are you looking at for St. Joe's? Are you looking at a team that can, you know, Oh, maybe I, I kind of want to come in. At, you know, oh, they challenged Houston. Wow, they 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 lost, but they put up a really good game. I can hop into a really good program that can develop my skills, and you know, potentially I can you know be the next piece to make the uh, a contender. Or are you saying, uh, wow, these guys got their asses handed to them on Houston? I feel like I bring something to the table that you know can actually turn them around, and and you know single-handedly make them a contender myself is that are are any of those kind of pathways something that you know are there are there advantages to you know either way of 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 how St. Joe's plays this game whether they 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 make it a game or they get blown out I don't think blowing getting blown out is a a recruiting is a recruiting tip to take to heart um because winning's contagious, right? Winning's contagious and, and players want to be a part of a team that has synergy and tacit knowledge where winning and knowing how to win is passed down from generation to generation. And that's what excellence is. 
Um, but I think the biggest thing that St. Joe's could do from a recruiting standpoint, even though I don't think the recruiting has been that bad, it's just how do we get a culture of winning back is getting the fans back into it. It's kind of like a dumb take, but every time I go to Hagen, it's like, it shouldn't be like a church. Okay. It shouldn't be quiet. It shouldn't, shouldn't be like no one makes a noise or anything like that. There it should be, you know, rambunctious. It should have alumni. It should have all this energy. Um, and when you go to big five games, it's dead. When you go to regular eight, 10 games, it's dead. I went dead. I went to every game last season. It was not a good time. And I feel like if you're a recruit for basketball, a sport that, you know, you get a little, you know, your notoriety on campus, you want people there, you want people watching you. And I think that's actually just as big as a pull as, you know, being a 500 team is I'm a 500 team, but at least everyone comes to see us play. So may sound a little dumb, but I think having a good fan base, that's like, like, I really admire Dayton basketball. Like they fill that place up VCU. Like that's what you, you aim for as, as that kind of school. So. No, I mean, it's, it's, that goes, I mean, I feel like that goes without saying in any sport, right? It's like, if, why would I, you know, I could, I could be the best player in the country, but if, if no one's going to come watch me play, then, you know, why, why would I, why would I play here? Why would I, you know, I could go to even a, even a worse, you know, by the maybe by the net uh team and and they have a more passionate fan base and I'm the hero every single night so that that's a great point and so something that I I I you brought up also is you know going into the season going into last season you know you there were a lot of ways that people thought that this team could find success and it never really worked out so before you know you you get ready to hang it up and look to you know 2023 if there's an inkling of something that St. Joe's can can use to get by either in non-conference play or, you know, down the line in conference play, you know, maybe try and move, maybe not even get out of the pillow fight, but move up through the pillow fight. Where would that come from for you looking at this roster? Yeah. So I think the biggest takeaway is the fact that last year, even with a dynamic player in, in Jordan Hall who could run the court, we never really took advantage of fast break points. We would turn the ball over. We would, stop and set up a half court offense. We just didn't have a rhythm to the offense. If we did generate a turnover and those are free points, right? And so now that we have three really decent guards, I think in Lynn Greer, Eric Reynolds and Christian Winborn, who's now new to uh, two of them are new. Um, one's a transfer, one's a recruit. I, I think that having dynamic guard play attacking the rim, when you make, when you make a turnover or inbounding the ball and pressing the defense, it's just free points. And under this Lang regime, Points are something that don't come easy. They settle for threes a lot. And I think getting a nice transitional offense, one where you don't have to think of complicated plays or anything like that, just get to the basket as fast as you can um, and generate free points. That will keep us in a lot more games, make things a lot closer. And I think that's the biggest um, change that we can implement now without having to do years and years of running, trying to run, I don't know, a modified Princeton or something ridiculous, you know? So I think that's kind of a quick fix to that offense fence and who knows if they can do it but if that's the if they do could be a lot of success cool so i mean you know something something definitely to look forward to you know maybe early on before we you know before we see you know what this team can really do but i kind of want to move on to a game that we'll be seeing on monday uh and on the men's side this is actually the first game to be tipping off <clears throat> in terms of the a10 slate at 6 30 p.m uh lasalle is taking on uh Number 16, Villanova. And aside from this just being, you know, a big five matchup, Villanova, you know, it's 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 always going to be a great matchup. I think this might be one of the more 
interesting ones that we've seen in recent years between these two teams, because not only do we have, you know, a big five matchup, but we've got a guy, you know, coming into this big five matchup. That's a head coach of Villanova with a a season of a 10 basketball under his belt in Kyle Neptune. So Anthony, for you as a, as a, as a, as a big five fan, as someone who, who, who's, who's been a part of this, you know, culture for so long, how important of a test is this for Kyle Neptune? It is a big test for Kyle Neptune. How great would it be if you're a LaSalle fan and the first first game for a coach at Villanova is a loss to LaSalle? And I mean, if any team's had success against Villanova, it is LaSalle. I think they've always, I think statistically, they've played Villanova closer than St. Joe's has over the last 10 years. Like the point margin, margin to victory is only like five points. It's it's with last year was actually an anomaly when they got blown blown out by like 30 or 40. Um, so yeah, it is going to be a big test. I think Villanova, fans are very picky um they will you know winning is everything to them as well and they're so used to it that hardship hasn't been a part of their program um since the days that temple ran the big five so it's going to be a big test and you know it's jay wright's one of those guys he's hard to replace he's probably going to be at the games he's going to be raising money at the alumni events so imagine you're the coach you run out there and there's the the former guy who's put the school back on the map because they were off the map for a little bit there um the good thing is they've got a lot of returning players. So I've had this um, analysis with Nova where I think they're still going to be fine in the big five nationally. They may slip a little bit. They just don't have that kind of, you know, drawing up the same plans. They don't have the same coaching regimen. I'm sure it's going to be similar, but I mean, if we to use an analogy, um, look at Notre Dame football, right? They kind of take a step back and then they're starting to find their groove again. It's the same players, same program, a lot of same coaches, but they got a new head coach different philosophy. I see the same thing for Villanova. Um, they may take a couple steps back. They may lose games they shouldn't. But in the long run, I think they're probably going to be fine. But if there's any time for LaSalle to strike to steal a win against this team, it's probably on Monday. And I'm going to be watching for sure. And so going into this game, you know, for this to be the perfect time to steal a win against against this Villanova team, I, I could not agree more, by the way. Um is Fran Dunphy like the perfect guy to do so? I mean, again, another guy with A10 experience, another guy with Big Five experience. It's like this is like it's almost like a it's like a it's like a nostalgia fest for a Philly a Philly hoops fan. If it, I mean, Dude, what I perf- want to know, yeah, is go ahead, how was this not the aircraft carrier game? How are the Gola <laughs> boys shut out from the aircraft carrier game? This is all the makings of the perfect aircraft carrier game. I'll just say that. No, I totally agree. I mean, I feel like in the something in like mid-major basketball circles that people love talking about, you know, it's kind of like that that stuff that leans into like um like sicko's behavior. Right. And I feel like the perfect example of that in college basketball is the aircraft carrier game because as as fun as it is, it's logistically no one wants Deacon Zag at Michigan State. Yeah. Ah. And you know you get the whole thing with like the the court moisture and all that stuff. Like, it doesn't pro- it it doesn't really produce a great basketball game. It produces something that, that looks cool on TV. Um, and I feel like there's no bigger sickos in the mid major Twitter community than than the Gola Boys. I mean, maybe aside from Little Bona X and Fran Dumphy in like a camo tracksuit, be elite. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, whether or not this game what is on an aircraft carrier or not. What is what what is Fran Dunphy bringing to the table here with this LaSalle team that maybe there's a little bit less pressure on this LaSalle team this year? Because I feel like people might think that, you know, he kind of knows what he's doing, you know, no matter what happens in, in this game 
or in the season. Like there's some there's something good cooking here. Uh, so what could what could what could Dunphy do in this game to kind of get a little bit of a head start on that? What I worry about when you bring in coaches like Fran Dunphy is that do you bring in someone who's going to have a stale system, something that's not up to up to date, current? There's a reason why he retired, um, and so you kind of run that risk, right? Are you going to bring in something that's old in the sense that it doesn't work anymore, and there's a reason why it's old? Or are you going to bring in something that's um, old in the sense that it's a classic, right? Classics never age. It's tradition never goes away. Um, and so I think that's the question of what's the style of basketball they're going to play. Is it an old stale version or is it a classic style? And I don't know what that's going to be. This is kind of like an arbitrary guess, but um, kind of like a reference of, you know, that's what I'm always worried about with these, these coaches who have been around for a while and um, some reinvent the wheel and turn a classic and continue to turn out great basketball, regardless of, you know, the team they're on, it's just their style never ages or, you know, is it something that they're going to snuff out right away? Villanova has been around the block. As I said, these assistants have been here for a while and they're going to know Fran from those temple and pen days as well. So um, I think for LaSalle, what he brings is consistency, stability, um, which you did not get with Ashley Howard. Unfortunately, it was just like a roller coaster of we're on a high, we're on a low and it wasn't really his fault. I mean, it's hard to recruit at LaSalle for certain reasons. But um, I think Fran's going to have a lot more steady, sturdy, fatherly presence. Yeah, he's an older man, um, and that's a good thing, right? It's going to be calm in the room, and I think that could be to their benefit if, if it's going to be. Um, if there is one benefit, that's going to be it. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. So do you think that, you know, I feel like, you know, if, I, I, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but like some of the things that make it tough to recruit at LaSalle, you know, maybe the size of their gym, not necessarily being the biggest program in their city. What things does Fran Duffy bring that, that could, you know, push him up? And it's the same conversation with, you know, definitely like a school like Fordham or even Mason or GW that, you know, while I think they are all, you know, marquee programs of their respective cities, they are not the marquee program of their respective cities. Yeah, I think being able to tell kids that I can turn you not into a star, but a great player. And if you're a three-star recruit, I'm as good of a coach to turn you into a potential NBA draft, right? That's the that's the theme that someone like St. Joe's had, where we've had a, a an NBA um, an NBA quality player every three or four years. Once every three or four years, a quality NBA player comes through. That's the kind of recruiting technique that a, a coach like Fran Dumpy can bring to the table and say, Hey, I can make you great. Um, and you're a three-star recruit, take a chance on us. And I can make you a four-star, you know, late first round draft pick. And it's definitely not out of the question if, if you have good coaching behind you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really great point. I think that's something that I think a lot of these schools can, you know, obviously, you know, I don't think that, you know, of course you got to, you got to produce the results. You do have to, these schools do have to get into that cycle of producing NBA level talent every couple of years. But I think if they can do that, then I think we'll see the A-10, you know, make a huge leap forward. So that's a lot of great stuff from LaSalle. I mean, you know, if I could say one thing, though, uh, Ashley Howard, while he didn't bring a lot of wins or a lot of, you know, you know, winning culture, he did bring a really dope neon sign to the gym. So I, I, I don't think that can get, like, swept under the table. But I want to move on to the next game uh, in 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 this you know big lineup that we've got going on tonight that I wanted to talk about, and that's St. Francis of Pennsylvania 
uh, going up to up to Bonaventure to play the Bonnies tomorrow night. So, Jack, one thing that I thought was really interesting uh, that we talked about on, you know, when you were last on this podcast is the fact that this Bonnie's roster is so new. And it's it's really, you know, aside from, you know, reading scouting reports of these players, we don't know how these guys are going to, you know, mesh on the floor. We don't know how they're going to perform, you know, in, in these tough game situations. When you're coming off, you know, a season of winning the both the regular season and the and the tournament championship, then following it up the next season with a with a NIT semifinal appearance, the next season fans will usually want you to take a big step forward. And seeing a huge roster change doesn't make it impossible, but it it kind of completely restructures this team's narrative. However, after talking to Coach Schmidt at A10 Media Day he seemed almost relieved. Like there was, it seemed like there was a lot less pressure. He was a bit more comfortable to experiment with this roster. And I feel like he's going into this season with, you know, a a lot more open mind and he kind of wants the fan base in the community to have a bit more open mind as well. I mean, I know you were talking to him for a while at media day. Do you, do you feel like he, that was kind of his mindset uh, at media day? Schmidt's just a cool cucumber, right? He, he just yeah. kind of goes with the flow, and he's obviously an X's and O's coach. I would argue he is the best X's and O's coach in the league, and I think a lot of other coaches would tell you that. He's got the deepest playbook out of any coach in the country. I think what Anthony said earlier about the analogy to Notre Dame football and Villanova basketball, that might be the same case for Bonaventure. Um, watching their exhibition against Alfred on Wednesday night, the backcourt, was solid. Daryl Banks, Kyrell Luke. Banks, obviously, the star at St. Peter's. Luke, Patriot League for Rookie of the Year from Holy Cross. Those two guys really are going to be the leaders of this team. But I think the rest of the starting five, there are some questions there. Um, again, Schmidt's a great coach. I think we'll figure it out in due time. And it's this is actually funny. I, I, I like the story, too. Uh, Jeff Anderson, Rochester, New York native, Final Four referee officiated the national championship game in this past spring. And he actually refed the game Wednesday night against Alfred. And he came up to a source I know and said, give this team 10 games, they'll be fine. And I think that's exactly right. Once they roll around conference play start of the year, I think they'll be okay. They're not going to be top four, but they'll be competitive. And they always have been under Schmidt. So I'm, I'm not too worried about them. I don't think a lot of fans are too worried. They're actually almost excited to turn over this new chapter and, and, and check out a whole new team and meet some new players. Great personalities, great guys. So it should be an exciting season for Bonaventure basketball with really not much expectations. Yeah, and you talk about that backcourt. Uh, what did you like from them, you know, in the in that exhibition? Or, you know, what what are the things that you feel like, you know, are, are a change from, from last year's team that, that, that kind of – propped up and are, 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 you know, now could be an advantage that, you know, last year's roster might not have ever used before. Yeah, if you noticed in the first half, Bonovich has shot 19 threes. In the second half, they shot four. They can't launch three-pointers at that rate because they're simply not that good of a shooting team. And frankly, Alfred was in the game in the first half because Bonaventure missed 11 shots of those three-point attempts. And the longer the shot, the longer the rebound. You get out and transition quicker. And if you're a smaller team playing against a stronger opponent, transition buckets are going to keep you in the game. And that's exactly why the score was so close at halftime. 
second half, they got to the paint, and Schmidt has emphasized this for as long as I've talked with him. The game is won in the paint, both offensively and defensively. If you can get to the paint and get a good look inside, that's an efficient shot. And, oh, by the way, the defense collapses around you, and you can obviously kick it out and get that open look on the wing for free. I just felt like the team, like I said earlier, it needed a little bit to find its groove against Alfred. They eventually did that in the second half. Again, we're talking about Division Three Alfred Saxons of the mighty Empire 8 Conference, I have to admit. But we'll see tomorrow night. I, I think it's going to be a little closer than um, what Bonaventure fans are expecting. And you can read my column when it's published tomorrow morning. Jump shops are fickle is another one of the Schmidt-isms that he always says, and I agree with him on that. Uh, but I do like what Luke and Banks bring. I think they're going to be a really nice backcourt duo this season. And, um, you know, Mike Rowe, or uh, yeah, Rhodes said it at media day. He goes, college basketball, you win with good guard play. So who knows? Yeah. And uh, so do you think we're closer to, you know, I don't, I don't know like really what the, a lot of the sets that were run in this exhibition game, but do you feel like we're getting closer to a starting five or do you think, you know, like you said, you know, 10 games, they'll be fine. Do you think those 10 games are going to be crucial in, you know, seeing a lot of different rotations hit hit the floor? I think so. It, it was interesting to see that neither Max and Madison or Chad Venning was the starting center. Schmidt went with Barry Evans, Jan Farrell, and Anwar Malouk as three, four, five, and they're all six, eight, six, eight, six, six, Farrell being the one two inches shorter than the other two. Those guys are long. But they don't have the size to match up with some of the better big men in the league and some of the guys will go up against. And then once Venning comes in and a Madison comes in, frankly, they just don't have the offensive game to really dominate down low like Oshuni did, or you go back way back when to Yusu Endoy or even Andrew Nicholson. But they're there to play defense and rebound. So I think Venning and a Madison, they'll probably get 15 minutes a night, if not a little more. Um, but I'm curious to see what the starting lineup will be tomorrow if it differs from what we saw this past weekend in the exhibition. You know, I don't want to I don't want to have you show your whole hand for this piece that's coming out tomorrow. Uh, for you, you know, if, if if there's like one or two keys to the game here, uh, what, what are you hoping to see against a team like the Red Flash? Well, St. Francis is an interesting team. They struggled last year. They went 9-21, and and yet they were picked third in the Northeastern Conference poll. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of injuries. Uh, they had a COVID outbreak. But they've got a big guy inside, Josh Cohen, that's a stud. And Schmitz even talked about him. That's the matchup, is if you could contain Cohen, you shouldn't be able to win because Bonaventure's guard play is better than St. Francis's. So it's all about how you go against Cohen inside. Uh, he was a voted to one of the all-conference teams in the NEC. So he's a stud. He can play. Uh, but I think that's going to be the biggest matchup. Yeah, and the NEC is a really interesting conference this year, right? Because I feel like you've got Wagner, who I think came out really strong last season. You know, they 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 you know they made it all the way to the conference championship game to Bryant, who is now left for the America East. So I think a lot of these teams like St. Francis are going to kind of be jockeying for position there. And a game against St. Bonaventure is like the perfect you know, opportunity, you know, this is, this is a statement game as much for St. Francis, as much as it is for St. Bonaventure. So it'll be really interesting. Um, 
really excited for that and, and really excited for your for your piece coming out tomorrow. All right, so you know, two two great games that I think right now are are probably you know must watches for you know just so many you know interesting narratives going on this season in the A10. So much that we don't know. I feel like we're going to get into it later, but you know, St. Louis and Dayton, uh, obviously the top two programs in in this conference right now. But I think this week is going to show really who can take that three through even six, seven spots. And one of those teams right now is George Mason in their opening game against Auburn. I know this was pretty high in our non-conference top 50. Uh, for me, it might honestly be in my top five non-conference games to watch. Um, I don't know how it's going to go, you know, in terms of score, but I think this is a great opportunity for 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 Mason to get some, get some good minutes against a great team. And it really shows, uh, you know, the intensity that Kim English came into this program with and how he really just wants to, you know, put his guys through a gauntlet season after season. So Daniel, for you, um, what's, what's, what's a George Mason fan looking forward to in this game? Are they looking for, you know, a sneaky win or are they just looking for their guys to, you know, look put together, collected, et cetera? Yeah. I'll tell you the family, the fan base, I think is split on this game. Um, I think about half the fans are expecting a win. I think about half of us are expecting somewhere in the 5 to 15 point loss range, I think. Um, I will say something that narratively I think has changed within the last two weeks or so is Auburn's got a couple of injuries that they're dealing with that could potentially change the the course of this game. Um, Joni Bro- Broom? Brom? Broom? I'm terrible at pronunciations. I apologize. Um, may or may not play, but he's got an ankle injury that he's been dealing with. And Chance Westery, who was um, Bruce Pearl's, someone said he was likely to start at one point, um, is almost certainly not going to be playing tomorrow night. Um, and that changes the dynamic a little bit. I mean, you know, granted, the Auburn's, you know, first two guys off the bench are probably the type of guys that could start at any Atlantic 10 school. But, um, <laughs> You know, any time that you get anything that swings, you know, the, the table's a little bit in your favor. Um, it's hard not to think, well, maybe we got a shot in this game. Um, I, I, I've i gone back and forth on this. I've, I've talked about this game, I think, a little bit before on previous podcasts that we've done leading up to this season. Um, Auburn's a really great team. They had a really fabulous trip to Israel over the summer. They played three games against high-level competition in Israel, won two of the three games that they had there. Um, and we all, we know those international trips always seem to benefit teams when they come back. Um, the freshmen are getting that, you know, some real experience under their belts for the first time. The veterans are just getting stronger. Um, there's a lot to look for in this game. And I'm just excited to see what this George Mason team is going to be made of. Yeah. So one thing that this Auburn team really excels at, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, I put this down in my notes. They they finished fifth in the SEC preseason poll. And in this SEC, that's almost like a death sentence, right? Uh it's probably gonna be, you know, either the last bid, you know, they're they're gonna be a little a little low down there. Um and they, you know, they lost Jabari Smith to the NBA. Um, but they still got a lot to show. They are a high tempo guard focused team. And that's something that I think every team in the Atlantic 10, especially Mason, really tries to excel at. So how do you think that aspect of Mason's game is going to be evaluated? I mean, I know they're uh, Mason for an A10 school is pretty big. 
So maybe that's not their biggest strong suit, but how do you feel like the guard play is going to be, you know, a major factor for Mason to shut down here tonight or on Monday night? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question. I, I think alone, regardless of who the opponent would have been, I think the guard play is something that Mason fans would be looking at in this game. Justin Fernandez is obvious, is arguably, excuse me, um, some might say, obviously, I'm just going to say arguably um, the best recruit or the biggest recruit in school history. Certainly in the last decade, there's no question there, I think. Um, and I think him alone brings a lot of questions and hopefully answers about the guard play and what that rotation is going to look like for Mason. Um, you get guys like Deshaun Schwartz, who were were stud shooters last year. Can they bring that kind of game back again this year? Davon Cooper. Um guys like that that could be real streaky shooters take it gains um i mean a lot of these guys um just bring size that that mason has lacked i mean you think of the mason guards of the past you think of a guy like otis livingston who is short um and not the biggest bulky guy um and when you contrast that with kind of the guys that we've got in the rotation right now um and that Kim English has brought in the last two years. It, it's a different looking team. It's a more physical team, top to bottom. Um, and you mentioned their size and size, Victor Bailey Jr. And obviously Josh Oduro needs no introduction. Um, there's a lot to like about this team on paper. Um, and I think that's one of the most exciting things about this, this Mason team um, is how good it looks on paper. Now, obviously how a team looks on paper does not always translate um, for a variety of reasons, but um I mean, hell, if Mason can get to 20 wins this season, I will be ecstatic about that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty solid benchmark, and I, I'm sure that's something that, that Kim English has, has set forth for his team. So I don't know how much of a gambler you are, but a 13, they, they come into this one as a 13.5-point underdog. Fandoms aside, are you taking Mason on the points here? Yeah, I'm not, admittedly not a huge better, although I, I'm proudly can say I won $9.76 betting in the Breeders' Cup over the weekend. So there you go. <laughs> nice. Um, I was seeing those tweets. I was like, wow, I, I didn't know anyone was, was watching the Breeders' <laughs> Cup this weekend. No, nah, I mean, when you, when you live in Kentucky, it's hard not to fall in love with horse racing, but, but getting back on track here. Um, I don't know, 13, what did you say? 13 and a half? 13 and a half. Yeah. I mean, okay, here's the thing. Mason's either going to win by five or lose by 20. I feel like that's kind of the range we're looking at here. Mason's either going to win a close game or Auburn's going to kind of pull away in the second half. And we're going to be like, damn, we maybe we're not as good as we thought we were. Or Auburn may be better than we think they are. But that, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a betting person for the most part, which is why, because I, and the main reason I don't bet, especially with college basketball, is I am far too emotional. I can never make an objective decision that is sound. I could, n- I just gut intuition. I have to give you an answer, and I don't want to be a cop out and say I'm not going to give you an answer. I'll take the points. Give me the points. I'll All take right, it. That's fair. You, I mean, you know, sometimes what I do in a lot of my, you know, gambling picks is like I'll give a pick and I'll say, but if this were me, you know, I'll give a pick because I have to. But yeah, if this were me, I'd stay away. So is that kind of what you're what you're looking for here? I like just stay, don't trust my stay away game. I don't trust myself with college basketball betting anyway. I'm too far too impart. I'm far too partial. Um, I'm definitely not impartial. I'm far too emotionally driven. Um, but fair, fair. I don't know. I mean, from a from a betting perspective, this is probably the type of game that you would love because there's so many unknown variables that you might just hit it and get lucky. Um, 
the line, I mean, if George Mason is as good as advertised, 13 and a half is literal free money. I mean, if they're seriously that good, then 13 and a half should be free money. If they're not, <laughs> you, you could lose a bit of money on this game. All right, so maybe this game will just be the one where you, you bet on it, and then depending on how it goes, it'll be like, all right, I'm never betting, betting on Mason again this season, or um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ride them all the way through. So those were three games that I, you know, just really loved and, you know, felt like I felt, uh, you know, based on who was on this podcast and I feel like, you know, we could really talk about. But there's still 10 more games on the men's side and plenty on the women's side. I, you know, I mentioned that the men's slate is starting at 630 and going all the way, you know, pretty much throughout the night. But the on the women's side, we're getting basketball at 11 a.m. So I kind of want to open this up to everybody. But before, you know, you're all going to be at your respective games. uh what else do you think you're going to be checking at? Maybe, you know, got a screen open on your phone that you're going to be checking the score on. I know I'll be at, uh, you know, Fordham Dartmouth, uh, you know, in case anyone wants to check that one out at 730, because Fordham uh, on the men's side, well, you know, last year they did a thing where they did they had a doubleheader, essentially, where the the men's team played at, oh, sorry, the women's team played at 530, and then the men's team played a, a little bit of a later night set at, around 7.30, and it was a really good, you know, setup to have, you know, a big crowd in the Rose Hill Gym. And they're doing it again this year, and I absolutely love it. So the women's team is going on at 5.30 against Yale, and then the men's team is going against Dartmouth in, you know, I guess a Fordham versus Ivy League doubleheader. They always call Fordham, you know, the, you know, uh, an unspoken Ivy. So I guess they're trying to, you know, you know challenge that notion there. But uh, so I'll, I'll be watching those, but but for both of you, is there anything that you know you think that listeners should be checking out here tonight or on Monday night? Yeah, I'll be I'll be at the George Mason women's basketball game. They're hosting Maryland, number seventeen Maryland. Um, I'm real real excited about that game. Mason got paid to host Maryland, which does not happen very often. It's like a, a road by game. Um, so I'm all about that one. Um, if I could take a step outside the Atlantic Ten for for just a hot second. There is only one game on opening night on either the men or the women's side that pairs two ranked teams up against each other. Um, And it's on the women's side. It's South Dakota State hosting Creighton. Um, It's at 8 o'clock on ESPN3. May not look like the sexiest matchup on paper, but it's a game that I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on the score of um, because you got to love those early ranked season matchups. So, Yeah, and I feel like the A-10 – didn't really have that. I mean, you know, we've got the one ranked team, Dayton, but they're taking on Lindenwood tomorrow. So I just feel like that's not really like something that is really worth writing home about. But I mean, you know, either, you know, Daniel or Anthony, I mean, is there anything, you know, Anthony, is there any uh, other, you know, game that you'll be checking out later on tomorrow night? So I will a hundred hundred percent be watching Loyola Chicago. I live in Chicago now. I don't oh, nice. get to go to St. Joe's game. So I'll be going going to the Loyola Chicago games and they're new to the conference. So I'm like, you know, someone's got to keep an eye on them. Who knows what they've got in the bag. They're not, you know, they're brand new to the conference. So for me, that's when I'll be watching. Um, and when I play a team that I plan to watch all throughout this season to learn a little bit more about them. So. Yeah. Take it on fairly Dickinson, which I feel like is, which is really interesting because I wouldn't expect a school like that to to make a, such a long trip and non conference play that's not involved with like an MTE or something. Maybe yeah. Chicago's giving them some some cash there. Yeah, it's but, weird, uh, but something I'll watch. Something I'll flip the channel to. Yeah, and then obviously the other one, the la- you know part of that also part of that later slate is is Murray State St. Louis. Uh, I believe that they've got you know some sort of agreement to play each other. You know, 
back to back or like got like a home and home series. So St. Louis again, I think we are we are in an era of the Atlantic Ten where you know the top half of this conference is so hungry for really good scheduled non-conference games. And I think it's something that fans should be, you know, really excited for anything later on in this week that, that you guys will be checking out. I mean, I know I'll be, I'll be watching Fordham, Arkansas. They'll be going all the way down to Arkansas to play them on Friday. Um, but any, any, any big weekend weekend slate games that we, that we might touch up on later this week on another episode. It's a quiet weekend. I will say there's not a whole yeah. lot of, of real sexy opening week matchups. I know that's been kind of a talking point um, across certainly the men's side of college basketball. Um, I believe Thursday night or Friday night. Let me check it real quick. Um, on the women's side, there is South Carolina is going to play at Maryland. That's probably the top game of the week on either the men or women's side, arguably. Um, I do always love the veterans classic. Um, I'm a big Navy fan. So I'm, I'm personally think it's fun that St. Joe's is in it. I think it's going to be a great experience for those guys. Um, and I always love checking out that double header as well. Plus the aircraft carrier game, I think needs to, I joked about it earlier. I, I'm a sucker for sports in weird locations. Army Air Force football this past weekend was played in a baseball stadium. All about it. Love it. Give me the yeah. crazy stuff. I watched that game, too. That was that was a weird setup. Um, I mean, I guess it's like one of those stadiums where, like, now that the Rangers are gone, like, they don't really know what to do with it now. So it's kind of like a... Oh, no, that's, like a, they play in the new stadium. They play in Globe Life Park or Field. Whichever one the new one is is where they played. Really? I thought they yeah. played in the... Oh, interesting. No, they played well, in the new one. That makes it even even weirder a little bit because I mean, considering you know how many football stadiums you can schedule an Army Air Force game in Texas in, but whatever. I mean, one game that you know it might not be the best A ten game of the weekend, but uh, Duquesne taking on number four Kentucky on Friday. Uh, are we maybe we get maybe we get two five uh, you know two top five upsets? We get a little St. Joe's over Houston, and then little Duquesne over Kentucky. I think we've got a little magic on our side. We'll find out who the real big blue is in Lexington <laughs> that night. And it ain't UK. Oh, man. So, hey, the yeah. A-10's got a winning streak going on in, in Rep Arena. It's a one-game win streak. That is true. That is true. This could be the, the second team in, in three years to to upset Kentucky and then and then do nothing with it the rest of the year. But uh, I think with that, we'll we'll close off this episode, this latest episode of the A-10 Talk podcast. Thanks to Jack, who, who you know, hopped off a couple minutes ago. Daniel, Anthony, follow all of us on Twitter. Myself, Sam Basil as well. Follow us on A10 Talk, at A10 Talk on Twitter, A10Talk.com. I mean, this week is going to be so crazy. I mean, the slate tomorrow, you're probably going to have so much content from us that you you, you won't even know what to do with yourself uh, after you vote on Tuesday. So make sure you keep reading all that stuff. And until then, we'll see you guys next time.